Welcome to Running Up the Score. I'm Alex Kennedy. This is my show that airs every Tuesday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Today, I'm joined by a special guest. He is a 16-year NBA veteran. He played 893 NBA games. Uh, the longevity is impressive. Uh, I know that. Yeah, I'm joined by <laughs> CJ Miles. CJ, how are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I want to start with that, the longevity, because I've talked to players that have played you know, a decade plus in the NBA, and I always ask them, what are some of the keys to longevity in the NBA? Because, I mean, making the NBA is hard enough, but playing 16 years, that, there's very few guys that have played that long. Again, 893 games, if you count your playoff games too, that's really impressive. What do you think are some of the keys to kind of sticking in the NBA for that long? I would say the, the biggest thing is, is learn, knowing yourself, like learning your body, right? Um, I think that's something that, especially I came in at the end of like the old school era, so everything was pretty kind of like, squat, bench press, pull up, like it was like very, um, uh, routine, religious. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think the advancement in, in diet and, and exercises and knowing what guys needed and really being more specific is what really helped me change that part of my, my career, like to keep the longevity in sight. Right. Um, and that's the biggest thing is finding out what you need, the way you want to play, the strengths of that, how to take care of your body that way. That's the biggest thing. When you look at today's NBA, who are some teams or players that are impressing you so far this season? Um, I, I, I love what uh, my man Jamal Moses is doing in Orlando. I love what those guys, the energy, the way they're turning. Uh, Indiana's been great. Shout out to my people in Indiana. Um, those are probably the two most exciting ones for me, maybe because of some personal ties in it too, and I see it happening, but those two are the – the biggest one. And then obviously watching LeBron do what he's doing, right? Like crazy. <laughs> um, especially like I think about like we talk about my longevity, right? So he's 2003 and basically played all year round every year since he's been in the league, right? Like he's basically on the longest AAU run, AAU circuit of all time. <laughs> and yeah, for him to still be doing what he's doing and still got time to make movies, do commercials, <laughs> like be be at all these kids' stuff, like he's 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 amazing at what he's doing. Yeah, you know, I I think fans obviously respect the longevity there, but like they don't understand what it's like to play an NBA season and keep your body in shape, and you know how sore you are when you wake up the next morning after a game. So for someone that's actually done it, can I mean it, it just blows my mind that he's able to do this. And I know Maverick Carter has talked about how he puts he spends like two million dollars a year on his mm. body, has the hyperbaric chambers and cryotherapy, and uh, I know some of his teammates like Iman Shumpert had said that. LeBron puts his treatment before everything. Like he mm. will not. I've heard you know, that too. Yeah. Like that is the number one thing in his life. You know, he will move everything in his schedule. Like that is the number one thing. But as someone that has played in the league and, and understands kind of just what it takes, the toll it takes on the body, you know, mm. are you just kind of blown away by what he's able to do? Yeah. But like, yes. And not surprised when you hear like what you just said, the type of things. Right. Cause I remember playing against them, playing against Cleveland and knowing guys on the team. And I, they'd be out talking in the hallway. And I'd be like, y'all been here for a minute. He'd say, yeah, we waiting on Brian. Like, Brian mm-hmm. getting all this stuff done, right? Like, he got he got to do what he got to do. And I thought that was, like, it just rang a bell, right? Like, he was like, nah, we going. The main, I heard him always say the main thing, keep the main thing the main thing, right? That's, I think that's what I hear his people say is one of his biggest things. And you can't get bored with the little things through that run. I think that's the biggest thing, too. I probably should have said in the beginning, like, the things that make everything go well, just because things are going really well, you can't kind of relax on those. 
Mm. You got to understand the hierarchy of everything and how much that smallest thing really means, which goes back to knowing yourself. Like, how much do I really need this time for this, that, and the third? And how does it affect the career and my output? And I think that's what he figured out. He figured out, all right, we like the way we live. We like winning. I like, to, I like everything that come with this. What makes that go? My body. So I'm going to put as much as I can into my body and everything else will fall into place. Yeah, I think uh, what's interesting about those guys, LeBron, Kobe, like the, the complacency is normal. I mean, people feel complacent, mm-hmm. especially when you've been doing something for a long time. Le- LeBron could have retired a couple of years ago and he goes down as one of the greatest players ever mm-hmm. and has an incredible legacy. Um, but to be still doing this and, and getting up for a random game in the middle of, you know, December, uh, I, I think that's what's really interesting. Kobe's the same way, you know. He didn't have to be showing up at the gym at four in the morning, putting these crazy workouts in when he's one, you know, arguably the best player in the league. Uh, what do you think? I, I think it, how rare is that, I guess, amongst NBA players, that kind of uh, drive and then being able to kind of push off that complacency when you've already accomplished so much? I don't even think it's I wouldn't even say rare for NBA players, it's rare in life, just in general. Yeah. Right. I think that's why it's so hard to, to. To figure it out. Right. People are looking for something. Because we tend to do a lot of things we don't like to do. So we get bored of them at some point. We want to move on. And the way the mind works, right? People want more and more and more and more. And I think the key to this is with anything that you love, you find a purpose and a why in it. I think he's Mm -hmm. found purpose and why he really does it. And it's not just about his love for playing basketball. Obviously, he loves basketball. But when you can combine all those things, it makes you want to play longer and more because it also feeds this and it feeds that. And then those things also go hand in hand with basketball. The example he's setting for his family, his kids, or just in general, people seeing that age is not a number, seeing that whatever you want to really focus on, you can do. I think that's what's really pushing him because he's seeing there's no pressure no more. He's in uncharted waters. Like, yeah, what can you do? To, what, what can we say about him? <laughs> like, what, you know <laughs> what I mean? What could I what could you say to him now? So now it's fun for real because now. I've done everything I thought I was going to do, what I wished I was going to do. So now I get to just play basketball until one day I roll over. He's like, you know what? My knee is a little swollen. I'm done. Yeah. And you just keep you know, buying that new goal, like chasing the next championship or playing with uh-huh. his son. That's the, exactly, the, the, right? the main thing he just, now. He figures out a way to, to, to pour gasoline on the fire. Yeah. It's interesting. You were one of the few people that played against both Kobe and LeBron in the playoffs. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what was that experience like? Uh, do you have any stories from those those series? Uh, I mean, both of those guys, obviously known as killers. What was that like for you? I mean, they the reason why all the good teams I was on never got <laughs> like I, those are the guys that put me out through my whole career, right? Yeah. All my good years in Utah, it was Kobe. All my good years after that, it was in Indiana and Toronto, it was Bron. Like literally, like those yeah. guys. I ran into those guys my whole career, and. It just speaks to what we're talking about, longevity and the focus on what they what they what they want and how that bled over into the teams, because they had a lot of different teams, those guys, too. And they still figured out a way to rally guys and get guys in the place. But I think Kobe, I learned early that it was nothing like when Kobe missed shots, it wasn't because of me. Like, I, that was my <laughs> joke with that. It was something he did and he was going to figure it out. All I could do is just kind of be there. Right. And then the one thing I always admired about LeBron's game is that he always seemed to be a step ahead. And if he wasn't, like if you threw something new at him, he figured out how to get take two steps so he could be a step ahead again. Like he was always looking for the next. Like it was never, I didn't see a lot of plays playing against him where even if he turned it over, he took 
he took why he turned it over out of it and not, oh man, I turned it over. It was like, I turned it over because, and now I'm going to exploit it. Right. It was never a staying in that moment. And Kobe just didn't care. <laughs> Kobe was <laughs> like, I'm, I've worked harder than anybody could ever imagine. There's nothing with nobody there. So I don't need them to tell me now that I'm good. I know I was mm-hmm. good because I got up at four o'clock in the morning and then worked out again at eight and then worked out again at two and then worked out again at six. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, it just speaks to their mindset. One of my favorite things earlier in my career was uh, talking to like rookies after the first time they played Kobe. Like they would go into the game all excited. And then after the game, they would almost be like shell shocked and like mm-hmm. not really know what just hit them. And that was always great. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and it wasn't even just what he did in the core. Like the, there's mental games and stuff being mm-hmm. played too. And he uh, he was always great at that. Um, you mentioned this Pacers team. I want to get into them a little bit. They're 13 and eight, fifth best record in the Eastern Conference. We saw what they did in the in-season tournament, you know, making the championship game. This team is just so much fun to watch. I mean, they're the best offense in the NBA. I think they're still ranked number one. Um, Halliburton is just incredible. Uh, scoring the ball. He's always been a great passer and like running the mm. offense, but his scoring has taken a leap. Uh, this team, I mean, I think they're a legitimate uh, playoff team. I think they can make noise in the playoffs. Uh, they're a ton of fun to watch. What are, your, what are your takeaways from kind of what they've shown so far? I just love the energy they play with, right? Like they, they seem to be, and then you see the interviews and you see obviously guys can say the right things, right? You know that it's a game. But I, when I see them and, and knowing Miles also and a couple other guys I've been around us on that team, they seem very genuine about each other, about everybody yeah. trying to get better for this organization, for us as a unit, not so much just because we want more clicks on whatever or I want more money or more. It doesn't seem... It seems very much geared to them understanding that the totality of this thing will help everybody. Mm-hmm. And they, they want a sense of pride brought back to Indiana's name and that culture. That's basketball. That's a basketball city. Like that, that's a, that, yeah. that Indiana's a part of basketball's culture's roots, right? Like, like Indiana's a part of the origin story of this thing almost when you think about it. And I think they understand that. And having a guy like Miles who's been there for a amount of years, he's been there who's kind of been on some of the good teams because um, he was we he was drafted when I was there. So he's been there now. Yeah. And he understands what can be done and what that city, how much that city loves basketball. Yeah, I interviewed him a year ago and he was saying, you know, after signing that extension that, you know, he hopes he can stay there his whole career. I mean, there's been so many trade rumors that's been brutal mm-hmm. for him. But uh, I mean, and, and they did move a lot of veterans, obviously, mm-hmm. in the past couple of years. But you know, he, I, I think he wants to stay there. I know he and Tyrese are, are really close. Um, mm. I, I think Tyrese, he says the same thing. Is that he's like, I am a Midwest guy. I love it here. He's showing up at high school basketball games and like winning over the community. Mm. It just seems like a perfect fit. Like that that marriage is working really, really well with yeah. Tyrese, Miles. Uh, mm. And I'm excited to see what they can keep doing. I mean, as they keep developing and, you know, gaining chemistry and everything. Um, I was happy I for ask, OB too. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. OB he's too. Just he's been awesome. Just getting a new revamp, getting a new, like, I think some guys just need that. It's just time for a yeah. move. I, I had a similar situation early in my career going from Utah to Cleveland and then to Indiana. It wasn't anything about nobody's necessarily wrong. It's just time for something new, right? It's just not working. It's just not working. Right. And that's fine. And, I, and we tend to throw guys' careers away or fire coaches or, or write coaches off, right? Don't hire them again because the situation didn't work. Sometimes people need new voices and new things. It's just that simple. Yeah, the change of scenery has uh, really worked out for him. And you're right, a lot of players, sometimes that's what they need. 
Um, I want to ask about this Raptors team. You mentioned, you know, you played in Toronto as well. Um, Scotty Barnes has taken a big step forward and he's been, you know, impressive this season. Uh, his development's been really fun to watch. Um, but this team right now, they're nine and 14 uh, outside the playoff picture in the East. There've been a lot of rumors about, you know, could we see Siakam traded? OG. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of where Toronto goes from here? Do you think that they stick with this core or could we see them, you know, make a move potentially? I, it's it's a tough space, right? Because those guys, they're not older guys. They seem older than they are because they've been there and, and so much has happened in like four years in Toronto, right? Yeah. It's been like a decade in four years from going from... <laughs> so I So think about it. I got there in 2018, right? And they're in the middle of like the best run this franchise has had in a long time. We've we were number one team in the, in the league at one point during this stretch. Mm-hmm. Goes from everything that's built the foundation, being out, new person in, championship, to back down, to back up, pandemic, all these things that happen, the bubble, the whole. And it makes those guys seem like they've been there for so long. So right. I don't know if it needs to be blown up. I think there's stuff that needs to be moved around, yes. But I also think that impatient look on it because of what's happened it's going to cause the blow up. Mm. I think because they did one blow up and they won a championship right away, I think it can kind of get you antsy. Yeah. And it might turn into sense. a young, if it might turn into a young player. It might just be time for like we just talked about. Um, I think OG, I don't think OG is going anywhere. I don't think Scotty's going anywhere. It's hard to see Pascal going anywhere, but like, I think a lot of the rest of it is real. I think Yak is a, 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 a Yak and Perto's a pretty good, yeah. you know, you don't find too many guys that do what he does. So I think he, but I think it's just a lot of, a lot of movement that might have to happen just based off the fact that they don't shoot the ball well. And um, Project 6-9 is, might be coming to an end, right? All these tall, long guys, it might, you just might need to go get some skill guys, like some specific skill guys. Yeah, it's interesting because all of these guys, you look at, uh, Pascal, Scotty, OG, Jakob Pertl, like all these guys have a ton of value league wide. Like if they were mm-hmm. to be available on the trade market tomorrow, mm-hmm. they would fetch a, a haul, each guy. <laughs> Whatever they want. We put them together. <laughs> it just, yeah, exactly. Like, and I know that's part of the reason why I think we haven't seen OG and Pascal traded because they the asking price has been so high. It's been, we want three, four first round picks. We want, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a crazy return, understandably, because the guys are super talented. But then just when you look, we, they're they're great as like individual trade chips, but then when you put them together, it just hasn't worked the way that you would expect mm-hmm. from guys that are this talented. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. I mean, maybe it is the skill isn't there, they, the complementary pieces aren't there. It just it mm-hmm. hasn't really worked as a as a group. So uh, I'm very curious to see what they do at yeah. the trade deadline. I think right now, when you look at that roster, right, if you go if you're gonna go from ground zero, you obviously pick Scotty because he's got the biggest potential to build around as far as being like a superstar that can do everything that, for a team. Then you yeah. go down the list, you get the OG. OG is the perfect comp. He's the perfect Robin to a Batman. That's what mm-hmm. OG can be. The defender, he shot the ball extremely well the last couple of years. He's showing that. He's posting them. That. He's got all these things. He's still got space to develop. Now, the tricky part is Pascal and Scotty are now in the same space almost. Yeah. Not to take away from what Pascal's done, but just where they're playing right now, for Scotty to be everything he needs to be or for Pascal to be who he's been, it's going to be hard for them together. Because now Scotty's becoming a ball handler, running, picking rolls, doing all these things, right? 
these providing all these things and to be that then you got pascal who's been who he's been for three years now a bucket uh playmaker uh he's been handling the ball some he's been doing all these things been carrying and now you wonder you know there might have to be a pivot right so one and one of those guys can get us what we need to make the pivot right <laughs> like mm-hmm. pascal can get you and scotty can get you and og can if you want but i think og is the one piece that no matter who's there, he his his role is what it is. Right. He's not affected by too many other things. Yeah, that's a good breakdown. I, I think Siakam is an interesting one. I know there have been rumors like Indiana actually has come up as a possibility that they've been looking and making calls. There are a lot of teams I think that would show interest in Siakam. Indiana is interesting because Indiana does not have a guy that you like, here, go get that bucket for me right now. Yeah. Right? Halliburton is doing that in pick and roll and stuff, but I mean like a wing or a, a three, four, like a score, score. Right. They got guys that they're playing with so much pace and they share the ball well. That's going to come to some times, though, you're going to need somebody to put that cape on where it's not Halliburton shoot from 35 feet. Like Especially in the playoffs. Shots. Exactly, right? Because the playoffs, everybody scouted. We know all your sets. We're doing this, we're doing that. Every game is a series, essentially. Yeah. So every game is going to look different. So you need some guys who, when everything's taken away, who can just literally just go get it. You need one of those guys. And you got a yeah. couple. You got Halliburton that could do it from the point guard position. Having a wing that could do it with... And then you got Buddy, who's a threat. But Buddy's can be limited by scouting, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be a really interesting fit. I, I think there was a report that they're looking for a big athletic wing. And then there was another report that they've made calls about Siakam. So, yeah, I think Indiana, with what they've shown already this season, I would not be surprised if they're a buyer at the deadline and if they're making that call for a Siakam or someone that could kind of fill I'm that at, role that you're I'm, talking about. I'm at that first playoff series for sure. If he goes there, I'm definitely putting up. Oh, play. yeah. Not, even in my mind, now you think about a lineup of Miles, Obi, Pascal, Buddy, and Halliburton, right? Think about what that could be. It's still playing with the, the pace because they all run, capable of making shots. You got a dead-eye shooter. Two, exactly. You got everything you need. Pascal and Obi can defend. Miles already protects the rim like a monster. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I like that it, a that's lot. A, that's a crazy lineup. That is And the bench lineup. has been fantastic for them, too. They're playing hard. They bring energy. Like, they, they got a shot. Yeah, I give their front office a lot of credit. They've made some really good moves. Like, I love the Bruce Brown pickup last offseason. You mentioned yes. Obi. They've yeah, drafted like, well. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think... They're uh, they're in good hands there. I'm excited to see what they kind of do going forward because they have a really bright and- future. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Prize Picks. If you haven't tried daily fantasy sports on Prize Picks, you're missing out. You pick two to six players and whether they'll score more or less points than their Prize Pick projection. If you're right, you win big. You can win 25 times your money on any entry. At Prize Picks, you aren't competing against other people, which might include experts and sharks. It's just you versus the projections. Prize Picks offers projections on virtually every sport. NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, college basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, and more. You can mix and match players from different sports. So you could have Steph Curry and Patrick Mahomes in the same entry, for example. If you download Prize Picks today and use the promo code RUNNING, they'll double your deposit up to $100. That is the promo code RUNNING, and they will match your deposit up to $100. It takes 30 seconds or less to build a lineup. To show you how easy it is, I'm going to build an entry right now. All right, we're on Prize Picks. They have a Taco Tuesday deal right now where Jason Tatum, uh, his projection is discounted. Let's go more than 22.5 points for Jason Tatum tonight against Cleveland. 
Let's go over to assists. I like Devin Booker tonight uh, more than seven assists. Uh, and let's go over to the NFL and receiving yards. I'm going to go Drake London more than 52.5 receiving yards. He just went, went off against my Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think he'll have another big game against the Panthers. Uh, let's go $20 entry. We're good to go. We are entered. Thank you to PrizePix for sponsoring this episode. Use the promo code RUNNING and they will double your first deposit. That is the promo code RUNNING. Let's get back to the interview with CJ. I want to ask you about your experience with the G League Ignite because you uh, mm -hmm. were around Scoot Henderson and a number of those guys mm -hmm. that have now gone on to the NBA and, and had mm -hmm. success. Scoot was obviously so young. It's crazy what he did in the G League at like 17 years mm -hmm. old. The, the fact that he was playing against grown men and just, you know, dominating out there at times. Um, what was that experience like for you? And what do you think of the Ignite as kind of a developmental uh, team for these top prospects? You know, you, you obviously saw behind the scenes what they were able to learn and, and just how much they kind of benefited from being there. What are your thoughts on the Ignite, on the Ignite kind of as, a, as an experiment? I like it. I think it's really cool because it allows this, this space that's nowhere else, right? You got former players coaching. You got like myself and Amir Johnson. I was there with Amir Johnson. We were two guys that came out of high school. So who know what these guys feel like at their age? They're not going to, there's not guys like us left really. So yeah. you get to be exposed with somebody who's like we talked about, who's done it the way you're doing it as far as age and the things that come with that. Then you got Pooh Jeter on the other side, who's been around forever and has done every type of route. And just in case it's not the NBA, it's overseas, it's China, it's this, it's that. You got guys that this melting pot of just wisdom and knowledge and, and opportunity at the same time while preparing you for the NBA lifestyle too, for these guys who are obviously like Scoot who's going to be lottery and things like that. Um, I think that it just provides a space that I wish was more like that when I was coming in because when I came in, nobody knew what to do with us. Like, like yeah. it was right. Like, you know what I mean? Like LeBron's like the most special case in that situation. And, and Dwight Howard to an extent, mm -hmm. you know, those guys stepped into spaces, body ready already to an extent, able to handle and that made a big difference. And then just being able to go play and kind of groomed for that coming up. Like I wasn't, on Sports Illustrated when I was a sophomore in high school. Like, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, I wasn't, <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't groomed for the jump. And I think having those guys having that space means a lot. Here, I'm curious, making that leap to high, from high school to the NBA, you know, you were a McDonald's All-American, Texas Mr. Basketball. Um, you know, what went into that decision for you? And then do you think now they should get rid of the age limit? Because I've talked to different guys that made that leap. Like Tracy McGrady, for a long time, he was like, no, I think guys should have to do two or three years of college before going to the NBA. He mm -hmm. kind of, he's obviously a success story as well, but, you know, he felt like uh, guys should be more prepared before going mm -hmm. to make that leap. Whereas other guys are like, no, you should be able to make that jump uh, mm -hmm. as soon as you're ready, you know, be able to make money for your family. Now mm -hmm. it's a bit different because you do have, Ignite, Overtime Elite, mm -hmm. you have NIL mm -hmm. deals. Like, it's changed mm -hmm. a little bit, but what was that mm -hmm. leap like for you? And uh, and do you think guys should be able to do that? So it's a trick thing, right? You probably should listen to the people that did it, right? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's the way they should look at it. Like, you got these guys who did it, even successful guys. Like, I'm not Tracy McGrady, but I played 16, almost 17 years. And I yeah. would tell you that I would have benefited from going to school. I'm not mm -hmm. saying I regret making the jump. I just know the things I would have benefited from because I went through it. 
Right. And I wouldn't, and I know how hard this is to do, to stay and to stick and to play and to deal with some of the things that come with this. Not, not just the age thing, but just the league in general. Um, so I would, I'm thinking more about people for longevity, mm-hmm. not for them being able to make money for their family. I understand the need for that, but if we can make it another year and a half, I would tell you to take that year and a half so you can turn that what's about to happen into 16 years instead of three or four, right? Because then when that water get, cuts off, get cut off, and everybody's used to living a certain way. And now you got it. Like now it's a whole nother monster. Right. Um, that's what I look for. I like, I think basketball is going to be there if you take care of yourself. And if you're that good now, imagine how good you could be, you know, in a year and a half and everybody saying, you know, well, you never know what could happen. I was, I'm, 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 I hear you. Yeah. But I also know what could happen if I do what I'm supposed to do. Like if I what take care of myself. The... Yeah, go ahead. What were some of the things that you feel you missed out on? Uh, were they on-court things, like in terms of your development, or were they like off-court things, like the college experience and taking classes? Like, what do you feel like you missed out on in that time? So uh, the one thing is when you come in before the G League stuff was like it is now coming, it's a very lonely space to be. So you don't, I think college, and even this part, coming in and seeing guys who went to certain schools or had or rivals with other schools and the camaraderie they had even without knowing each other yet it changes like remember these guys even getting drafted they come from similar circles like i'm coming out of yeah. high school nobody knows me i've not been around anybody i'm not there's none of everything is new i can't i was not able to do the things i'm doing that i'm able to do now i don't know any other guys for real i'm not I'm guys not, the kid yeah i'm all i was the youngest player for three years in a row after the draft Wow, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so guys got families because the league's still older at my time, too. It's still a little older. It's 2005. So we still got, yeah. you know, it's still very grown men. It's we wearing the dress code comes, we wearing suits to the games, right? It's still very, <laughs> um, so it's just a different thing. And, I, and that's what I mean by having that space to just know yourself some more and get yeah. around, get outside of your house, like not fully blown outside of the house, but at least enough where you can test the waters and somebody still can catch you because once you get to the lead nobody's catching you right that's interesting yeah that makes you sense. know like there's no baby in for that that part if this check isn't enough for you to want this then i can't help you you had it tough too going to utah with jerry sloan i've talked to deshaun stevenson about that as well like he thought he told stories in this podcast about how you know he'd be in his hotel room like crying and like maybe i'm not cut out for the nba maybe this isn't for me like it's affecting my mental health so much I am not playing like and he said the locker room was tough for him, too. Like there were times that like the older teammates would give him a hard time. And, like he just did not feel part of the team. So that mm-hmm. made me think of it when you're talking about just kind of being on the outside. Everyone's married kids at a different stage in their life. And you're mm-hmm. a teenager. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a kid. How, that's I mean, did, did you kind of feel the same way that Deshaun felt? I mean, not, not exactly, I'm sure. But like uh, what was it like kind of going into a situation where you're playing for Jerry Sloan? And then you have a lot of veterans on the team. Like, did you, uh, what was that like for you? Yeah, because, so there's this, there's an aspect of it I don't even understand, right? Because one, I don't, I don't view me coming in as me taking money from some guy's family. Oh, that's what Deshaun said too. He was like, I'm going in thinking we're all best friends. We're teammates. And they're like, get the hell out of here. You're coming for my job. I don't have that. I don't have a family. I've been the kid. I'm still my mom's baby. Like, I don't, I don't have this grown man mentality on the way this looks. So. 
that does a number on your confidence because you're looking around like, well, maybe I shouldn't be the one taking money from this guy's family, or maybe I am in the way, or maybe I'm not, like you said, supposed to be doing this. You know what I mean? Like it's all these things from the outside that you never even could have imagined would be a factor. And going to a place where the coach also has verbally said millions of times that he does not really like young players. <laughs> so then you go be the youngest player in the franchise's history. And imagine how that goes. Jeez. Right. <laughs> right. Imagine. Someone was messing with Jerry Sloan, drafting all these high school kids. Like, what were they doing? <laughs> they were trying imagine to get, get him upset. And everybody knows that he don't like young players. And everybody talks about it all the time. Asking so you time, about it, I'm sure. And every time you don't play, you you start to form this thought of like, it's just because I'm young. You're not giving me this fair. So now you got every, now you fighting with yourself, them, and then it's an imaginary war, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's happening all the time. And I, it, it's hard to even explain. But, like, yeah, like you said, it's just this lonely space sometimes. Hmm. And guys were yeah. good to me. Don't get me wrong. They were great sure. guys. They were great. Like, they, they was, I wasn't being, like, treated terribly. It's just the space. It's just a line that's there that you just can't cross. I don't understand how to. Right. How did that experience make you a better veteran for younger players when they came in? Like, were you, when it, again, you were added to the Ignite so you could kind of be that veteran mm -hmm. mentor for these young guys. And throughout your career, I feel like you were always kind of known as like the glue guy, the, the OG mm -hmm. that was, you know, helping younger players. You know, did you kind of, because you went through that, did that make you want to be that, better yeah. to young guys? That happened so fast too. Like I got considered that when I was like 25 because I already <laughs> yeah. been in the league eight years, right? So yeah. like when I got to Cleveland, I was looking at myself when I saw Kyrie, Dion, Tristan, and all those guys, right? Obviously, they they were higher draft picks and things. I just mean the mentality and things they're trying to figure out. And I definitely just took pride in making myself available. Mm -hmm. That was the biggest thing. Because that was, I felt like all I really need was to feel like someone was available. I didn't always need something. I just needed to feel like I wasn't alone. Yeah, you had support. Yeah, like I, I was fine with working and, and carrying my own load and doing certain I just needed to know that it was recognized and it was, you know, we that I've it took so long to feel like I belong. Right. You know what I mean? Like it took so long to feel that way and I had to do it by myself. Cause we're also tough. Looking especially at, that age. That's so tough. And player development is not like now either, right? Mm -hmm. So there's we got three coaches. There's well, five coaches. There's yeah. Coach Sloan. Phil Johnson, and then there's Scott Layden, um, uh, Coach Corbin, and – or maybe there's only four coaches. And then Jeff Hornacek comes later. He's, like, mm. in and out. But player to, there's not a space for me. There's nowhere for me to go. Like, now we got 13, 14 coaches on the bench. Every young guy's got somebody they can go to when they're not yeah. playing. They can work with. They can do this. We, I, we didn't have that. Like, yeah, it's interesting. It's unheard of at that time. I didn't see that until I got to Cleveland seven years in. Hmm. That's very interesting. Uh, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on what we've seen from Scoot this season? Because, you know, all, I think there's a lot of talk about Wemby and Chet and, and those guys, and he mm -hmm. had the injury. Um, I think he's shown flashes. He's, he's looked well, really yeah. good at times. And mm -hmm. obviously, it's still very, very early. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of what he's shown and then just his upside long term, like his long term potential? From being around him, the way he works and then the way he approaches and his understanding of what he wants to be and what he wants to do, I am not worried about him at all. Yeah. Not, I think he's, like, gonna be okay. he's got so much skill. He's got so much, obviously like athleticism alone sets him, puts him in a certain place. 
Because this yeah. is a kid that's built and moving like that right now. Like he's not even really fully <laughs> who he's going to be. And I think now it's just about, they talk about the game slowing down, which only comes from reps. Because the G League is a great start, but it's still not the NBA, right? Like it's still not, like it's still a step up talent yeah. level, right? There's one of the things you always say, and it's not offense to the people in the G League, but when you look around, you can tell why guys in the G League, mm-hmm. right? When you've been around, especially coming from somebody that played that long and come down, we can yeah. watch some games. I'd be like, oh, he's he's only a corner jump shot away from he's being on somebody's this. roster. Yeah. yeah, like you can see it so quickly. So like watching him, it was it was just about reps and understanding. It, it, there was no lacks. Like obviously he'll become a better shooter. Obviously he'll become better defense, but that comes from reps. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, you mentioned one thing I, I want to ask you about. Um, I think a lot of fans, again, they kind of have the same mentality as like you did when you came into Utah, where it's like, oh, this is my favorite team. All the guys are best friends. They get along. Mm-hmm. And there are teams that are like super close knit. Like this team mm-hmm. in Orlando, I'm, I'm based in Orlando. So I've spent time around this team. And like, they really do feel like more like a college program where they're all mm-hmm. buddy, buddy. Cole Anthony gets his extension. They all go out and celebrate and they're pumped mm-hmm. for him. Whereas that mm-hmm. doesn't happen on a lot of teams because... You, you know, they're all kind of fighting over the same uh, salary cap money. And uh, mm-hmm. to your point, one guy gets more minutes, that's taking minutes from someone else. One guy mm-hmm. gets paid, and that's one less guy that can get paid. Like, mm-hmm. uh, can you kind of speak to the interesting dynamics of an NBA locker room? Because obviously, you have to be a team and support each other, and the chemistry and continuity is important and all that. But it's also competitive, and maybe fans don't realize kind of just how complex those relationships are. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things you got to look at too from like speaking on like when I first came in the old school way of things a little bit is that the money is so different now True. <laughs> like there's so much money right so like a guy didn't think he could make a living cheering for his teammates mm. he was not going to get paid for being a you know what I mean like the amount that the guy can get paid for being like this is no offense to guys but look at the guys over the past few years that we've seen have strictly been glue guys and how they made themselves a living yeah, PJ Tucker has played for a hundred years now, being a glue guy, <laughs> yeah. right? And we and we know bigger name guys from the last, like uh, Jared Dudley had this resurgence of his career from just being that right before he went yep. into coaching. Like we see this space for that, so it allows guys to understand that at least I know I have a role even when I'm not playing. Be prepared and be able to do that. I, I see the effects; it's been rewarded mm-hmm. for being that. So now I know I still got a chance to keep myself around till I get my real opportunity. It didn't used to be like that. So it was like this cutthroat thing. Mm. It was like, nah, I don't care about what he got going on. I need mine. And I think winning teams have also taken care of their guys so well over time. It, it speaks to that too. Like, yeah, we understand you to only play 15 minutes a game, but you are part of what we've done and how we do it. And we're going to take care of our guys to keep this locker room same there's a lot more protection in the locker room now yeah i agree with that yeah i think those guys that uh another thing fans don't realize is just like the guys that have that impact in the locker room like mm-hmm. you know they see what happens on the floor but they don't really see the dynamics and like who's a vocal leader in the locker room mm-hmm. and who's uh you know friends with everyone and kind of keeps everything mm-hmm. kumbaya and behind the scenes like those things are really important too obviously um, and you need the guys that remind you of the goal all the time yeah Cause there's so many, like we talked with so many voices and this is not a shot at media, but media, they got to write their stories. They got to point out stuff. They got to do this. And guys are going to get singled out. Cause if they're a higher paid guy or a bigger name guy, and he's going to try to take this load on himself. Cause he needs to get them off him. And then you got younger guys who like, I need to go score 30 so I can get more minutes. 
And it's right. like, it doesn't have to happen as fast. It doesn't have to happen the way when you watch sports, like everything is under a magnifying glass from the other side. When you're in the locker room, we know we got 82 games plus playoffs. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm not looking at it the same, the way it's presented back to me though. Every day it's presented to me like it's the end of the world. Yeah. But when I finish the game, the next day I'm going back to practice and I'm going to do my routine and I got to play again on Thursday and Saturday. Nobody cares about Thursday and Saturday on Monday, but us. Right. <laughs> I've seen fans that are like, why isn't this guy more upset after a game? He's happy in the locker room afterwards. And it's like, do you understand how crazy he would go if he like had the same highs and lows you did emotionally after games like that's what mm-hmm. you want to see you want to see mm-hmm. a guy that doesn't get too high or too low mm-hmm. and that can like protect his sanity because that would be nuts if if you know after every game guys are punching holes in the walls and never crazy. play well. right like <laughs> i always find that funny like again fans think i'm pissed off so they should be pissed off and it's like well i'm sure they're frustrated but you don't yeah. want you know the whole locker room going nuts and that's how you have fights and, and <laughs> craziness in the locker room and it's also like I was saying, like, all right, it's almost an excitement to it when you look at it the right way of, like, why did we lose tonight? Yeah, yeah. What can so we like, learn from I, this? And if I know we lost because, one, we could just be tired. We could have played mm. four games in five nights. Whatever yeah, schedule loss. I know they're doing begging with the schedule, and there's nights like that where you're going in on an uphill battle. Two, there's nights where shots just don't go in. Right. We executed. We did what we were supposed to do. We just didn't make shots. I'm not going to be upset about that happening some nights. Now, if it's an effort thing, we're upset. Like, if it's a thing where it's just like you blatantly disregarded the game plan, played like not yourself, now we got some things we got to talk about. But we're looking at the game, you're going to, it's nice, you're going to lose games. Right. It doesn't matter if that team is one for 20 or undefeated when they come in your gym. Tonight is all that matters. These 48 minutes, I just got to be better than you for these 48 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like, so I can be better than you on any night. Yeah. You mentioned the media side of things. And I'm curious now you have some experience on the media side. Now you had your podcast strictly hoops with Mm -hmm. CJ miles. Um, You mentioned like the narratives and you've obviously been around this league a long time. You've been around a ton of media members. And now, you know, you kind of are doing your own broadcasting thing a little bit. Has your opinion uh, of media changed at all? What are some things you've learned, I guess, now kind of being on the other side for, for two seasons uh, and also interacting with a lot of media members and stuff like you've kind of seen it from all angles now. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on it? And how, how, how have your opinions changed? Just not, 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 a, not a lot. Like, cause one of the things, one of the reasons I also was intrigued with this space was being able to be in a media space and not be media. Right. Like, yeah, it'd be looked at as me getting to just be a former player and not have to adopt any, like, I don't have to have a draw. My draw is that I played for 16 seasons. So I don't have to say anything crazy that's not based in fact to get an emotional pull from anybody. Like we see some things do in the entertainment side of media. Because we got, we also know there's levels of media too, right? We got the guys who literally just do things to get the seesaw up and down or whatever. And then you got the guys who just literally watch every single game and break everything down and really follow and really want to have a consistent, steady base of just information. For yep. the fan to do with it what he wants, not mm-hmm. for me to sway you. Those are the two sides of that, right? And I get to speak from just an experience side, like we talked about, from being in the locker room, which nobody – we got more guys doing it now, which is not represented. So I just look at it as just be honest, and that's my draw because I've, I know what's being said in the locker room right now. Yeah, you one of the things I always tell – 
we had a bunch of former players on our staff at Basketball News, you know, James Posey, Atan mm-hmm. Thomas, Rex Chapman. And one of the things I always tell Kenya Martin, I always tell guys like the there's a lot of different uh, different media jobs. Like everything go, goes under the media umbrella, but like technically mm-hmm. like TMZ is under the media yeah. umbrella. <laughs> um, so I always tell people like there's a big difference between like national reporters and beat writers and gossip columnists and like the hot take artists that we see on TV that are just trying to get a reaction that sometimes they don't even believe the stuff they're saying, but it's all for entertainment. Like, but so when players are like, Oh, I hate the media. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like you're thinking the first thing you think of is, you know, the guy on TV that's criticizing you and the gossip site that's, you know, sharing pictures of you and your girlfriend when you go out of your house or, you know, putting crazy rumors out there about you. So like, yeah, like there's a lot of things that fall under that media umbrella. So it's just, and, and, and we all have different jobs, different goals, you know, trying to do very different things. And as a player, I always looked at the media a little different. So I looked at it like they got to, it's their job. They got to do their job. So I felt like if they wanted to speak to me, I'm not going to give them a chance. I'm, I'm going to give, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I speak in a way as, so it can't be used in a, a, a different way, a certain way, right? Like it can't be. I can't complain about the quotes they put in the paper if I said them, right? <laughs> like, right, yeah. Like, that's the way I used to look at it. I know you can chop up words and take a quote. I know that, but at least there's always a place where we can go get the context from if I say what I mean and not let things run. And then some things you just, you just don't answer. They're not worth an answer. But I always looked at it. I had a respect for it because I was like, if I, wanna be, if I don't want to be misunderstood, speak in a way where you're understood. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think there's a lot of good that comes out of media now too, like telling guys stories mm-hmm. and, and help promote things. I think it also helps too that so many players have their own platforms now too with social media and the Players Tribune and podcasts. Like, you know, they can clarify things if something is taken mm-hmm. out of context or, you know, they can talk directly to their fans, which is awesome. Um, but last question for you. I, I like to play a game with different players when they come on, especially guys who were in the league for a long time and had a lot of teammates. Uh, I call it teammate superlatives. And I throw out different topics or, or different uh, superlatives and you name a teammate. So for example, uh, funniest teammate, and you can name who kind of jumps out at you as like the funniest mm-hmm. guy you played with and why. And I have a few of these for you. So mm-hmm. let's start with that. Who is the funniest guy that you played with throughout your time in the NBA? I don't, I don't have one guy, but you I can have, have a couple. Like there was a group. So when I was younger in Utah, the funniest group of people I've been around was the, like me, Myself, Darren Williams, Ronnie Brewer, Paul Mills, out Ronnie Price. Like that group of guys, like when I think about funniest things done in the NBA, like those, those, those names always come up. We had so much fun, and, it, and they were the closest to my age at that time. They started coming in, right? They were still older, but so I had a little bit more in common with some guys, and I just remember all we did was laugh. Like no matter what was going on, I remember us having, and that led to the base of that team being really good. Yeah. That always translates over usually, that, that chemistry yeah. and stuff. Um, who was your most underrated teammates? Ooh, most underrated. Um, Paul Millsap goes on that list. I think he grew oh, when yeah. people started to really see it, but he still goes on that list as being super, super, super talented, right? Like being so good. And I still don't think they really people understood how much it was. Um, and then um, if I had one more, one more guy. I still, I still look at Pascal in a certain way because nobody – I think you really got to look at where he started and what he turned yeah. into. 
I think it's real. It's got to be understood how good he's become and how good and the amount of work it took to do what he did. Those those are good ones. Uh, hardest working teammates. Hardest working teammates. I got to go with Pascal again because of what we're talking about. And then at the same time, being with Kyrie, I know the way Kyrie works. Um, and then in Indiana, I saw PG come back from a broken leg in the same year. So, <laughs> oh <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's a good that one. That doesn't tell you. That doesn't tell yeah. you what working hard is. I don't really know. <laughs> that was crazy. Um, best leader. Mm. One of my favorites, David West. Oh yeah, David West was one of the one of the one of my favorites for sure. Um, and then Kyle Lowry. Mm, those are good ones. Um, smartest teammate. Earl Watson. Mm, that's good. Earl I like Watson. That. I learned so much from Earl Watson. And he didn't even talk a lot. That's what's even crazy. But I learned so much from him. And he did a lot for me. Those last, that my last part of my time in Utah, like he, he helped me a lot. And I just remember him just, him and Derek Fisher was another guy who did a lot to mm. change me a lot. Yeah, but, but Earl Watson for sure. And then we got two more. Biggest trash talker. Biggest trash talker on my team David yeah. West still mm. I'm still with David West on that one <laughs> <laughs> and the last one most fun to party with most fun to party with uh, uh, I'll probably go back to that that young group that I was with because we did we were young we did that was yeah, yeah. I did it like you know what I mean so like and that's not even so much like being in a club it just in general like we halloween parties at each other's yeah houses. you were in utah we got, so yeah so like we did a lot of um but those guys we had a lot of good time i actually went to darren's halloween party this past year same same oh, nice energy, same energy, that's awesome. right so like that's that's cool well this has been awesome man i could pick your brain for hours and talk basketball to you it's been so much fun uh thank you so much for your time i appreciate it yeah man thank you for reaching out man thank you for having me Keep up the great work. Uh, again, uh, everyone, make sure you guys are following CJ. Does a great job with, you know, breaking down the game. Knows the game really well. Uh, definitely check him out and uh, listen to his podcast. And if you guys want to hear more episodes of this show, you can listen every Tuesday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch on Twitter, YouTube, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Definitely check it out. And until next time, thanks for watching.